see, this is my life. It always will be. There's nothing else. Just us. And the cameras. And those wonderful people out there in the dark. All right, Mr. DeMille, I'm ready for my close-up. Welcome everyone to another episode of Ready for Close Up. 2022 has started already and we are one month in, so we thought we would give you a first wrap up of what we have seen, what we have watched, both on streaming services and of course at the cinema. So hi there Andy, how are you? Hi Sam, I'm good, how are you? Fine as well and looking forward to hearing what you have seen so far. How has this first month been? How have you spent January? Well, I think as many others as well, probably I was struck down with the Omicron COVID variant. So I was oh my god for a little while um, isolating at home, but I'm doing well or better now. So that's good. Did that give you a chance to binge and to watch an extra load of series and movies? at least it did but not as much as i thought it would but i think i still saw a few things i i binge watched big little lies ah, yeah. the uh tv show tv series with reese witherspoon nicole kidman and laura dern how is that for you it was good i mean i think i'm i'm probably pretty late on that big little lies train um i think the series was won all the prizes many years ago and the hype is actually over but now i've seen it and it's good i think it has um has a good storyline i think probably i was expecting a little bit more of the twist in the end so for those of you who don't know what it's about it's basically um in california in a affluent uh, city a group of helicopter moms who are basically um, living their lives between bringing kids to school, organizing school balls and yoga classes. And it's, yeah, there is a murder involved. There is a murder mystery around these lives of these rich women. And the, the personal stories are also intertwined into all this. And I think the way it's told is really well done. It has a beautiful soundtrack. The actresses are amazing. I think especially Nicole Kidman, um, together with Alexander Skarsgård as her husband, uh, their storyline is really, really riveting. So I think it's it's a good series to watch. No, I, I'm positively surprised. I think the hype back in 2017 was warranted. So no, it, it was good. What else have I seen? I've seen... Due to the passing of Sidney Poitier, I've seen Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, hmm. a comedy from... A favorite of mine. Exactly. A comedy from the 60s with Catherine Hepburn, Sidney Poitier. The story of a young white girl who brings her boyfriend, her fiancé, to the parents. And then it turns out that the fiancé is actually a black man. Um, and the parents are then confronted with their their own um, thoughts and maybe prejudices they have. Um, and I think it's, it's, it's a nice um, chamber comedy of sorts, a little bit uh, tame, I would say. But I think for the time when you also think that it was in the, in the um, civil rights movement and all this, I think it, it feels a little bit antique also in, in, in the way uh, ideas are dealt with, but I think overall Sidney Poitier and especially um, Spencer Tracy and Catherine Hepburn, they give great performances. So I think it's a good one to watch, definitely. Mm -hmm. I haven't yet watched anything in honor of 
Sydney Poitier, um, but I wanted to watch In the Heat of the Night again, which is kind of a interesting companion piece to Guess Who's Coming for Dinner, so I might watch that. But I did watch a lot of Golden Girls episodes in honor of the passing of, of Betty White at 99 years old, which saddened us all on the last uh, day of the year, of course. And I also went into a little bit of a binge watch of another 80s favorite of mine, uh, Murder, She Wrote. Mm where there's so many episodes and you can just kind of play them in the background and I find it cozy sometimes just to put a couple of episodes on and just watch Andrew Lansbury solve a random case. <laughs> so I, I did that. And then on Netflix, I went back into one series, actually documentary series, reality TV with the Queer Eye, a new season set in Texas, which I enjoyed quite a bit. A lot of new interesting encounters and changeovers. And that kind of kept me busy. I felt like watching that. And I tried my hands at Emily in Paris on Netflix mm. as well, because everyone has apparently been watching and not really liking it, but still binge watching it. But I'm still very doubtful if I will continue. I find the protagonist terribly annoying so far. And it's a bit hard. It's tough to watch a lot of annoying people unless it's self-ironic, which I don't think it is, but I'm not really getting what it is really it's such a mix between fluffy paris love letter and then comedic at some points but then also kind of um i don't know kitschy and unrealistic so i don't know what it is but uh, maybe i will be enticed on a tired night to watch a few more and, and get a better feel for it i don't know i can't say anything about emily in paris i stopped watching after the first episode because it was really not my cup of tea. Um, I think I'm not fitting into the, the Netflix algorithm that, <laughs> that um, <laughs> where, where you would find this interesting or funny or entertaining or anything. I think it was just very dumb in a way, dumbed down, a lot of cliches. Mm -hmm. And as you said, mm -hmm. not enough irony or, or self-irony in that respect, which would probably more fun i think so no not not my cup mm -hmm. of tea no and talking of fun you know at the same time i have started reading the new autobiography by mel brooks and he made a lot of movies that i watched over and over again as a teenager and we found them so rivetingly funny for a while i didn't find them funny anymore but now i kind of wanted to get back into it because i was reading about all of them in detail so i watched the producers again and blazing saddles and uh, there was another one that was a silent movie and so i'm kind of um, trying to kind of follow the career and i must say i i like them again they're kind of anarchistic in a way for their time they were kind of doing something that must have been like spectacularly gauche at the time when they came out and especially the western parody with blazing saddles also has this undertone of like racial inequality done in a very uh, unique way so that, that's also a little project that I've started outside of going to the cinema. But of course, we also want to talk about some things we have seen at the movies mm -hmm. because they are open, there are new productions and we were enticed back a couple of times, I think, to see some things. So what is a movie that you have seen? Are you a true medium? Yes, I am. Mr. Carla? Doctor, how about that? Please lay down. Can you read minds? Yes, I can. Under the right circumstances. Keep your answers brief. What do I want? To be found out, same as everybody else. 
Are you in contact with the Beyond? Well, we've had our share of snake charmers in the past. We deal with them. I've seen um, Nightmare Alley from Guillermo del Toro. Uh, it's his newest movie. Um, the last movie he did was uh, The Shape of Water, where he won a lot of Oscars for. Um, it was this love story between uh, the sea creature and a mute uh, cleaning lady, played by Sally Hawkins. Was that the last movie he made? That was the last movie he made. I was also surprised. Oh, wow. I was also surprised. I thought, like, there must have been something else, but no. Mm-hmm. So he took some time to really um, take uh, take on a project he was interested in. And I think you can clearly tell by the cast. I mean, there's not... I think it's a really stellar cast he could assemble for Nightmare Alley. I mean, there is uh, Bradley Cooper in it, Kate Blanchett, Tony Collette, Willem Dafoe, Rooney Mara. The list goes on and on. I think they're really a stellar cast. Richard Jenkins is also in it. I think it's interesting that he chose to do this after his massive Oscar win for The Shape of Water because it's not the prestige project you might think one would choose after such a win. And I think I, I really applaud Del Toro for that because it's it's a really interesting movie. Uh, it's about Stan Carlyle, who in the 1930s uh, escapes or leaves home and he becomes part of a traveling carnival group. And then he's also working together with Azir and um, her magician husband, who's a drunkard. And then he learns from them the trick of the trade um, on magic tricks, on psychotic tricks, uh, tarot reading. And then he becomes, he then leaves into the big city to become a society psychic for the rich and beautiful, and then gets involved into some shady business with a psychotherapist played by Kate Blanchett. So this is the, the short layout of the movie, and I think it's a beautifully, beautifully shot. I think visually it's very stunning what Del Toro pulled off here. The movie is essentially in two parts, like the first half is really in this carnival, in this grotesque world of shady people but they're they have an honesty to them they're like okay we we are tricking people but at the same time we know that we're not the most honest um it's very gritty it's very nice and there you have really supporting players as tony collette or willem dafoe who shine in their little roles and then as stanton carlisle goes into the big city where he becomes famous as this psychic and he gets involved with the femme fatale played by kate blanchett the movie really switches also visually into this very glossy art deco uh, style. The visuals are really beautiful. I mean, every frame is is a picture. And I think, yeah, it, it's visually very enticing. And the story is, is interesting because it always keeps you a bit on your toes. Because you're always wondering, what what is this? Where is this going, this movie? What does this movie want to tell you? Because I think it's not, and this is what I liked actually, because it's a bit playing with your expectations where you think you know where things are going and then they take another turn. And also Bradley Cooper surprised me positively because I think he might not be the best fit for this role because it's always a bit ambiguous and in the in the theme of a classical neo-noir anti-hero, he's really doing the wrong choices and he's he's a bad person. But at the same time, he, he, we always have empathy for him how he, when he tries to trick the rich with his psychic tricks. 
And Cooper does a good job in keeping this balance of being a hero, but then also switching to the bad side. Kate Blanchett is amazing, uh, as I expect she would be. I would say, though, that we probably have seen her in similar roles already. I think she's, mm-hmm. she's not an autopilot, but she, we expect her to be this femme fatale who looks gorgeous, but has a very sinister plan on her own. I read in one review a really nice description who says as if what happened if Carol went bad. So I think <laughs> it's a very nice, um, very nice description, I think, of Kate Blanchett in this movie because she's really she's good. And Del Toro gives her and Bradley really long scenes with a lot of dialogue, beautifully shot. He lets the scenes also breathe. And I think the movie actually, to wrap it up a bit, comes together really at the end with a very nice ending, which is unsurprising, which is also very dark and really puts the rest of the two and a half hours, the movie is long, the rest of the, the movie in a different light. Yeah, so I think it's it's a, a nice movie with a great cast, beautiful visuals, surprising twists. Probably not for everyone. I don't think it speaks to everyone as probably The Shape of Water has. So I think this one will remain a bit of a darker gem, I would say. But if you're into classical Hollywood, if you like noir movies, if you like also a little bit of a psychological thriller, then this is a, a shoe in to, to watch. That sounds very good. I mean, I've seen a trailer or the different trailers a couple of times and I thought they looked amazing. Also that um, half world setting that you mentioned and of course also reminding me a little bit of like Fellini settings and Hitchcockian moments but then of course having these uh, del Toro visuals and I was quite enticed by them but always there's always the question whether the movie then delivers also on on substance and and if the actors can shine like like you described with those two Kate Blanchett has been in a lot, and we'll talk about one other role that Chachi's in among many other famous names, maybe a little bit later. But I just wanted to mention one film that I have seen, and I'm sorry I saw it, <laughs> which is the third installment in the Kingsman series. You cannot keep me locked away as the world burns. Son, the truth is the world is ruled corruption and greed we must do something certainly we are the first independent intelligence agency refined but brutal civilized but merciless welcome to the club kingsman were two uh, terribly entertaining films in the in the style of James Bond, young James Bond, and especially the first one had a really nice, uh, fresh energy. It was cheeky. It was um, Taron Egerton's first big break into film before he came of course became of course also the Elton John in Rocket Man, but also for Colin Firth and a number of other actors character actors that was a great way for some fun and it was uh, more substance to it than for instance uh, let's say an austin powers or a johnny english it was also about this kid coming like growing up and becoming his agent kind of becoming polished and no longer that streetwise problematic uh, child or teenager 
And then there was the sequel that also starred Elton John. I think that's, that's how they actually met before making Rocketman, which was also fun, very out of control sometimes in some of its jokes, but that became kind of part of the Kingsman series. And now I was really motivated to go see the third one because it promised to be kind of the beginning of the Kingsman. And it's called also The Kingsman, but it's set not in the present, but just before World War I breaks out. And it's around these events of World War One. So you see, for instance, the assassination of Franz Ferdinand and his wife in Sarajevo, which supposedly triggered World War One. You see some of the, the battlefields. You do see some of the uh, main events around World War One, And you also have a number of characters, some of them from the time. For instance, Rasputin plays a very big role. There's Lenin, um, there's a number of people that, that, that meet in a, in a secret place and seem to be all connected. So it's kind of kind of an alternative version of, of history. And that was one major problem with the film, I, at least for me, who's interested in history a lot and thinks, you know, there's great films on World War I, just recently saw 1917, also with a, a number of classes. And that's a brilliant alternative version of World War I without breaking completely with historical truth. And this one now did something very strange. It, it, it told a completely different story, but it's hard to say whether the audience really gets that or whether that will just create some kind of image of that's, that's how World War I was. It was not tongue-in-cheek enough. And then I think was the other problem. It was kind of centered around a new um, Kingsman type played by Ray Fiennes and his son, Conrad, played by a young actor called Harris Dickinson. And there's also a number of other famous faces, like Jim Arterton is there, uh, Reese Fons plays Rasputin, uh, Jimon Hunsu plays uh, Shola, one of their colleagues, and Matthew Good is in it. So again, uh, quite a stellar cast. But then it's really undecided again between what it is, because it's no longer in the style of Kingsman. It's a bit more serious and a bit more dramatic. But at the same time, it then tries to poke fun at these historical figures. For instance, Rasputin turns out to be like a sleazy, disgusting villain with like fighting skills. And there's this fight scenes that the audience seemed to enjoy, but I, I didn't. I was just a bit perplexed by it and came out kind of sorry that I saw it and thought, well, yeah, you should have st stuck to the, the first one. And Matthew Vaughn, the director, doesn't really seem to have any regard for, you know, not, not even historical accuracy. I can see how you take liberties with, a, with a, a story that is set in a certain time, but then just to make these outrageous claims about it and kind of poke fun at it, that's something that is supposedly also serious and then do it in, in bad taste at the same time. It just did not work for me. and. Plus, in addition to that, um, the, the action was also not really as riveting as it was, for instance, and as fun and as kooky as in the other Kingsmen. So um, no recommendation there. Don't go and watch it. Rather, rewatch the first one again because that had this, this fresh energy to it. Interesting, yeah, because I, I, I think the trailer is somehow giving away also points that you just mentioned. I think it's... um When I first saw that they're making this movie I was actually interested in it I think the time period could have potential you would think okay they can make this sort of spy movie set in World War One and and have 
an interesting premise out of this, but then I think it also, was also one of those movies who got pushed back due to the pandemic a few times. And I also somehow lost interest in going and watching it. And what you just described is basically also a bit summing up my feelings towards the movie. I'm not really keen on going seeing it, even though I think Ralph Fiennes, Gemma Arterton, and these are all interesting actors. But yeah, and with Matthew Wan, it's also always a bit hit and miss. I think with Kingsman, it was... The first one, I think it was really a surprise and uh, it had the right amount of fun and action. Um, the second one I liked less. And I think now the third one, I'm, yeah, I'm already not so sure if I want to see it anymore because it seems to be really such a prequel that it's somehow detached to the franchise itself. So I don't really know what, what to make of it. If, if how, how, how do they make then the connection to the two previous movies? Yeah, there's just a connection at the very end. And I didn't really see the movies recently the earlier ones so i didn't get those connections as well so it was really also not satisfying in, in, in that sense that you kind of felt ah this is really how it began there was for me there was no connection with the exception of a few places a few locations like this kingsman um, place in the, in the city of london but apart from that i, I just felt disconnected and, and a little bit how do you say annoyed and a little bit bored? And it's strange, you know, when you talk about the stellar cast in Del Toro's Nightmare Alley and you see a stellar cast in this movie, how it can matter that there's such a stellar cast and you can bring out these different qualities in actors and actresses as a good director and how they can somehow be lost as well in a movie that just isn't working out and you're too focused on the fact that it doesn't work out. So the performances don't really matter that much. But I think it's interesting that our third movie that we've both seen also has a very stellar cast mm -hmm. and maybe you can also talk about this a little bit later on do these performances shine are they worth it is it worth casting all these people in the third movie we've seen and it's the movie don't look up this is the worst news in the history of humanity he just blew us off what are we gonna do we have to release the information so we just leak it our guests today have made a pretty big discovery in space how big is this thing going? I can't destroy my ex-wife's house. Is that possible? <laughs> There's a 100% chance that we're all going to die. Hey. Well, the handsome astronomer can come back anytime, but the yelling lady, mm. not, so not so much. It's a Netflix production, and it was kind of simultaneously released in cinemas and on Netflix. The director is and uh, screenwriter is Adam McKay and his screenplay was kind of hyped and popular and especially Leonardo DiCaprio made a big effort of making this into a film and casting it with really great actors and actresses. I think his mission was kind of because it's this metaphor of climate change threatening Earth but in fact in this movie it's a meteor threatening to destroy all life on Earth and the question is, how will humanity react? And so there's these two scientists played by DiCaprio and by Jennifer Lawrence, his um, PhD candidate. And they discover that this meteor is coming and supposedly will hit Earth in about half a year. And they try to inform the president of the US, played by Meryl Streep, and try to trigger a response and to, of course, get, get the world into action to do something against it to warn it. And of course, they encounter the most absurd reactions from politicians and their supporters. 
until the end there's this don't look up movement when the, the meteor is actually already in the sky and you can see it and there's a movement called don't look up that says just don't look up into the sky they're just like ignorant and of course this harks to all kinds of movements of the past especially trumpism i guess and so this this satire develops out of it and i was wondering Andy, you've also seen it recently what did you think did that satire work out for you i think it it worked for me as in satire i think it's maybe sometimes a bit too much on the nose because i think it's it's very obvious what the movie wants to say i think the movie has for me quite a clear-cut agenda on on where also sympathies lie i would say so i think the movie is is uh, knows what he wants to say and is maybe a bit biased in that sense the movie has this agenda and i think it brings it across quite funnily i think the movie is quite funny there are a lot of absurd scenes i think even in the smallest details where uh, there's this one scene where they're waiting hours and hours to to get to the president um, Meryl Streep and they're waiting there in these in these chairs and then the what is it the general sells them uh, snacks and drinks and then they realize <laughs> oh it would have been for free so <laughs> I think there are all these little tiny moments which are really funny which are well done the overall message I think. For me, yes, it's a bit on the nose, it's a bit obvious, but I think it didn't bother me that much. What I really liked is that it's not just, yes, it's a bit overblown, yes, it's exaggerated to to have this satirical effect, but there are still moments of, of human nature, I would say. There are still moments of emotions, still moments where the characters connect on an emotional basis and I think this is also really working because of the stellar cast the movie has. I forgot how much I liked Jennifer Lawrence on screen to be honest. I haven't I think <laughs> there was a time where she was overexposed and overhyped and I think now I haven't seen her in a while in a movie and I really liked her energy, her charisma and also her um chemistry with Leo DiCaprio which I think is is always solid. I think also here he's really has some great scenes um, to comic effect. And yeah, all the, the supporting players, I think it, they work well. I think Kate Blanchett is, is hilarious as this news anchor lady who's just interested in, in the news, uh, in, in, in like superficial entertainment. And this is then presented as news. I think Meryl Streep and Jonah Hill are funny as the president and her son. And also Mark Rylance as this spooky, weird Steve Jobs slash Elon Musk slash Jeff Bezos slash whatever <laughs> billionaire entrepreneur you can think of. So yeah, there are a lot of good characters in it. I don't know what, what you thought of, of the movie. I enjoyed those performances very much. I thought those were great vignettes. I mean, some, some roles are quite small, like Mark Rylance's, for instance, but he really makes an impression. Um, Kate Blanchett as well. She she's creepily not herself in a way in that role, as opposed to maybe Nightmare Alley the way that sounded. So it's a kind of a new take on a new role, but she does it very well. I think they gave her false teeth, and she looks so like like Kate Blanchett, but not at the same time. So I was kind of confused at the beginning because of her look, but she's of course great in it. And Meryl Streep is just amazing. 
I think those big eyes behind those glasses and giving her that Trumpist sound to it. And she still owns it herself. It's not like a rip on Trump himself, but just about someone who's as ignorant and came into this presidency also by some manipulations and um, just coincidences and and has these weird supporters as well that work a little bit like the Trump supporters. So it's 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 greatly done and greatly played by her. I also found it's a bit obvious and a bit long altogether. It's it's really lengthy, has a lot of scenes, a lot of ideas. But let's say the individual elements were, were interesting, were fun, they were worth it being in there and I enjoyed myself mm -hmm. and I must say also at the end I was quite moved by the movie which I didn't expect once that meteor is in the sky and there's a couple of really beautiful images as well which I didn't quite expect of the the, the comet like coming close like the meteor coming close to earth and you see it and of course people who do look up there they'll realize it and there's some strange beauty to that but then also them getting ready for the big impact because obviously the scientists know when it's going to hit and the others just ignore it and there's this scene when the kind of the family members but also the extended family sit together and have dinner and they they laugh and, and, and chat and, and they know at one point it's just gonna happen and then it does and there was something very poignant about that mm -hmm. i felt they hammered that message home even though it's a simplistic one that something like that you know, will have some kind of consequence eventually, whether it's as slow as climate change has been or whether it's something that could happen within a few months. It was very, yeah, it was very human. It had that, it, it captured the different shades of humanity and the egotism and the profit orientation, but also the making connections bit really well. And that was also due to a lot of the performances, including DiCaprio's, which I thought was was one of his, his better ones in recent years. And he seemed very devoted to that role, it seemed seemed to be an important one uh, to him. So yeah, don't look up, go and watch it. Uh, I conveniently uh, watched it actually at home, but I wish I had seen it at the cinema, um, which is of course always a chance if you see a, if you have a movie that's released in, in both formats. And I think it would have been quite cinematic as well. Did you see it at the cinema? Yeah, I'm not so sure how cinematic the movie itself is i think apart from a few scenes also the last scene you mentioned i think i it's probably not a movie that will stay with me for a very long time i think it's a bit it's entertaining it has this great cast in it but will it become a classic or a fan or a favorite over over time i mean as always only time can tell but i'm not so sure if i will keep it close to my heart i think it was a bit too fast food entertainment in that sense in the best sense in the best sense i think it's it's entertaining it has a message a little bit on the nose as we said but i'm not sure how high the cinematic value is of this i would say fair enough but, fair enough and of course i was i was thinking back to another movie that basically tells the same story and it's one of those 1970s disaster movies called meteor we talked about it at one point when we talked about sean connery's life in movies mm. and there you have the exact same storyline but of course it's told in the style of that 70s disaster cinema starring sean connery and natalie wood what's interesting is that 
films really are made in a certain political context because the response to the meteor approaching Earth in Meteor in 1979 is détente. So Soviets and Americans are working together to shoot these like mutual missiles all the way to destroy the meteor into thousands of pieces. And of course, this movie has a very different, very time critical response to what would happen if that was the case, including Mark the Mark Rylands character and also some others. So I thought that was interesting as well. Basically, the same idea, probably a very simple idea. What what would happen if? Mm-hmm. But then, how do we see humanity? How do we see the world and politics at that point in time? And whereas meteors seem to be kind of optimistic to a certain extent, despite the destruction some of it causes this one seemed to be like at least sarcastically if not cynically pessimistic so i I thought that comparison was 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 quite interesting as well for me yeah i think that's a good good call out and i think that's also what i what i thought when i said in the beginning that's a bit on the nose it has this political agenda because it's 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 clearly somehow taking sides by cynically ironizing i like making fun poking fun of certain characters who are referencing real life politicians or real life movements so i think they're yeah it's 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 a it's a bit a an agenda but i think it could also it would also be interesting to see how this can be a little bit softer in a way i think i think we are in in a time where things are really quite black and white and quite, mm-hmm. yeah, pessimistic in a way, or my way or the highway. And I think the movie is also reflective of that in a way. I was wondering, you know, you said that at the beginning, um, because it's so on the nose. Basically, who will see that movie is probably not going to be people who will be somewhat convinced by the urgency of, of it. It's probably too far removed from reality then. But at the same time, yeah, it's kind of preaching to the choir. I mean, mm-hmm. you, you enjoy it because you know... That's the way it is, but it's not going to win over any other ones because it's in that polarization vein that American cinema and, and society is in at the moment. So it's probably not going to do any good or change any minds to a large extent, I would think. But maybe cinema, just like bubbles in society, is just not, not able to do that anymore or has to do it in different ways. Maybe, yeah. Maybe there's like when you say that the, the 70s disaster movie is able to unite the whole world, <laughs> like the Soviets <laughs> and the America. I mean, this is also fantasy, right? But I think just the prospect or the, the idea movie has, I think that they like 50, 60 years ago, they still try to picture that painting of a united world against a bigger force and i think now we're at this stage where it's just like okay the others are dumb and we can't do anything about it anymore so mm-hmm. let's just have mm-hmm. dinner so i think <laughs> it's <laughs> in a nutshell, in a nutshell yeah. that's the movie no but i think <laughs> yeah that's it's 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 interesting to, to think of yeah what can a movie still do and what what is uh, are we just living in our social media algorithm bubbles and we we never really go to the other side anymore and i think the movie is also a little bit reflective of that i think which which points out an, an interesting thing about cinema itself cinema is in a way you know always a reflection of of the context in which it it happens and movies come out probably 
the influence goes both both ways. So it's possible that a movie will have a major social impact. It's happened in the past, but I guess in a, in a, an environment where this is already so divided to begin with, where certain people will not see that movie, for instance, and and be in any way influenced by it, then such change can just not happen as easily. So it'll be interesting to see if there will be a movie coming out this year, for instance, that will have that. Uh, capacity where a lot of people will will go and see it and which will trigger some kind of debate and maybe also try to bring those different polls together especially as we're coming out of the pandemic this year it will be interesting to see if there will be that movie that maybe also reflects on the present moment and i'm looking forward to that which maybe begs the question what is the next movie you are going to watch at the cinema you're planning to watch at the cinema on my watch list is still um, Licorice Pizza by Paul Thomas oh, Anderson. Right. It's like this San Fernando in the 70s movie about two young teenagers. Yeah, I want to see this one. Well, of course, the one movie we want to talk about in our next episode, and maybe just as a little preview for our next episode, we want to go and see the second Kenneth Branagh version of uh, Hercule Poirot, the Agatha Christie character, Death on the Nile, was made into a new version. And the original version is kind of a personal favorite of ours that we've seen and discussed very many times. Mm -hmm. So I think we'll take the chance in our next episode to talk about the two deaths on the Nile, if you listeners are keen to listen to that. So join us again next time when we are ready for close-up this comet is what we call a planet killer at this exact moment i say we sit tight and assess sit tight and assess sit tight and then assess the sit tight part comes first then you got to digest it that's the assessment period